Alex, I've missed you. I've missed you so much, Patrick. It, it was a sucky week without you, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> ah, it's weird to come back to snow. No, weird is, is it the, snowing there now? Weird is the wrong word. Sh- shitty. Yeah. It is shitty to come back to snow. It's late March, for God's sakes. Is that, like, how heavy is it snowing? It snowed an inch last night. Okay, that's um, not that much. I know, but after spending six days in 75-degree weather where I've gotten really used to wearing... Like undershirts on like a regular basis because it's, yeah. it's colder out here. But then I was just severely overdressed all the time in San Francisco. But I, uh, I just it messed me up. <laughs> that's how I feel about that. What is what is that noise even called? Together. What is it? That's called? the one that's called drama. All, all right. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's all I got. So. So yeah, I, we're getting. Yeah. We're about to get that snowstorm of yours, by the way. That's going to hit here today and it's... drop one or two inches on us, so that'll be fun. That's, storm, that's something I'm looking forward to. Storm may be exaggerating, but nonetheless, yeah. uh, as much as I have enjoyed uh, the passage of time that comes with seasons, I have to admit I was given a little, a little bit of a taste of what I left behind, and mm-hmm. uh, it was kind of a bummer. But then I came Were back you left and I was, regretful? Yeah, but then I came back and I was like, oh man, I have a bank account with money in it, so... I can afford. That's a nice change of pace. Mm, things balance out somehow. Um, so what did what did what did you get up to? Let's catch up with you. The people saw me on stuff last week, but what what have you been doing for like? Do you just like what what have you been doing? <laughs> it's a really probing question. Uh, you know, I I tried to keep up with keeping things on the site while we were uh, while you were <laughs> oh being responsible. That's interesting. I was trying to be. That's interesting. Uh, I wrote some. I wrote some news stories. I, I put up some videos. I did some things on the site while while everyone else was, you know, flitting around GDC, going to their panels and their talks and their live shows and what have you. Meanwhile, I'm over here doing the grunt work. Thank you very much. Uh, Someone's got it, Alex. I know. Someone's got to get that. It's fine. Uh, I, I certainly spent my my share of time watching you guys do that stuff. So that was that was fun to watch. Um, other than that. Uh, Games wise, I reviewed Left Rousers, which is up on the site now. I liked very, very much. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to actually playing that. Uh, it was, I was actually uh, around uh, Rami, who was on the GDC live show, and um, uh, who was, you know, the two, one of the two people at Vlambeer. It's also right. I think it's crazy that it's only two of those guys, given how much uh, their output is. But it is only two yeah. of them, and. I, he walked in uh, a little bit late, so we, we shifted him around on a segment for the live show, which actually worked out perfectly because he could not have been on a better segment for his sensibilities. Uh, and he was like, I got some good news to share. I was like, what's up? He's like, I just got an email. Luft Rousers is profitable. And it's like, that's within 48 hours. Like, That's pretty amazing. Three years of uh, development had, uh, had paid itself off because that game was supposed to come out a long time ago. Yeah. A long and- time ago. And that effort certainly shows in the game. It is one of the more fun shooters that I've uh, I've had the opportunity to play in a good long while. It's uh, that whole thing where you're just trying to stay in the middle of the screen while also dodging and shooting. It's like this nice little ballet act that uh, is surprisingly easy to master, or at least you know get the hang of. Uh, even though I, god damn it, I'm never gonna beat my fucking original score of like sixteen thousand. I'm never gonna get close to that again. So here's a question with that game. Um, I'm sure if I booted it up and played it, I go, man, this game seemed really well made. It is very enjoyable to play, but 
I I tend to move on pretty quickly from score based sure. games because it's very rare that I get tied up in the leaderboard race. Uh, right. Is there anything more to do in this game that that is beyond just like competing with friends or the general leaderboard? Other than unlocking more stuff for the ships, not really. Okay. Uh, there's a few hidden things here and there. Like, being a blimp is no small challenge, and they only show up after staying on on screen for, like, a certain amount of time. Mm. So that's kind of, like, the one white whale thing that you can chase for a little while there. Uh, it's, I, again, there's, there is not a whole lot of depth there. The depth is in just unlocking all the different parts, getting good at piloting the ship, and finding a combination that works for you. Um that that by itself got like rung a few outer hours out of the game for me. Um, well, that works. So yeah, like if, yeah. If, there's, if there's some sort of progression that I can go along yeah. with, even if it's just unlocking parts, and then I probably only play for an hour or two after that. Uh, that's fine. Okay, as long yeah. as like it's it's the games that are purely just drop in everything that you can do in the game is available right now. Which <laughs> I have nothing against those games. I'm just yeah. saying they tend to not grab me because. The, the, the score stuff I just don't have the time to dedicate to. So, like, having some sense of meaningful progression, if it's just even parts, that seems worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, the parts and the, the challenges that you have to, to to complete to unlock that stuff. Like, that stuff's fun. Um, but even past that, like, honestly, the, the, that is a game that you should play for, like, 20 to 30 minutes a day, and that is more than enough. Like, just put it mm. on your Vita, play it when you're you're on a train or something, and that is exactly the way it should be played. I lost like a solid six hours to that game one day without even really realizing what I was doing, uh, which was sort of terrifying when I looked up the clock and went, holy shit, where'd my day go? Um, it being as simple as it is and only having one battlefield, you wouldn't think that it would be that uh, engrossing, but it kind of is just because the gameplay is super fun. Uh, so whatever it lacks in you know long-term content, it's a $10 game and what it does with its mechanics is super fun. So I, I would highly recommend that. Yeah, so folks in the chat are saying like, it's, oh, you don't like to play score-based games, says the Splunky Addict. And that's fair. That is fair that is criticism. Fair. But what it's I believe fair. I said was 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 that it's rare. Um, oh. And and part of the, the only reason I got into Splunky the way I did was because I committed time in my workday to play it every single day. Um, and, and, and differently, uh, and it's, it's alluding to, to kind of what I was talking about, so Spelunky, you know, eventually becomes, once you've sort of seen everything or gotten over the big humps, does become almost purely a score-based game, whether you're talking about uh, treating it like a speedrun or whether you're talking about getting the most amount of treasure. But there are, like, objectives in the game. Uh, so, right. like, you know, there are, not only is there beating Olmec and there's beating Yama, um, there are, you know, the objectives leading up to those, you know, getting the various keys and getting to the various secret rooms that allow you to accomplish those tasks. So there are, the game basically spends a long time giving you objectives that allow you to understand the mechanics so that you can do the the high-end end game uh, score ranking stuff. Because you can't really engage with any of those things in a meaningful level with other high-level players until you have gone through all the objectives that kind of, you know, teach you every single thing you need uh, in order to to do that so uh so that's what i mean you know spunky has a little bit more of a structure uh to how it teaches you about its its scoring mechanics and it seems like uh, luft rousers is a little bit more like get in buddy Yes, it is definitely that. And let's also call this segment Patrick justifies his terrible spelunky addiction uh in any way he possibly can because Damn that is straight. That, it's like a heroin junkie trying to say no nah, man it's like 
you know, you just when you chase that dragon, man, it's like it just takes you to like higher planes of existence. Mm-hmm. You just don't understand. You, don't, you, you have to understand the nuance of the whole thing. Yeah, no, you're an addict. Face it, okay? It's... You're you're a horrible junkie. Yeah, I need to get. I actually need to get back to playing some Splunky. I was thinking about. No, that you should play other games. Well, I play I, other. Games. I am. I'm playing the Binding of Isaac. It just doesn't give me the same. All right. It just doesn't give me the same high. Uh, you should also play some Infamous because I uh, I got through a chunk of that uh, over the course of the weekend. Yeah, yeah, I'm behind. What? How is Infamous? How do you? It's how pretty is good. Infamous? I really like it. Uh, I just got to the part where you get the neon power, which is the second power. I think you uh, you pick up there, and uh, it is, it is. It, I, I, Jeff's review is a so far a perfect encapsulation of that game. It is really fun. It's a pretty cool open world. There's a decent number of array of objectives to do. Uh, the variety of those objectives starts to dissipate pretty quickly. It's like cool. I've done all these things. I'm starting to do them over and over again pretty fast. Uh, before I had even gotten to, like, the Neon Power stuff, I had already, like, taken control of three different areas in Seattle. It has this sort of, like, you know, take down the enemy junction area or, you know, a fortified area, and that becomes under your control or whatever, or loses enemy control. And that stuff's really fun, but it's kind of the same stuff again and again, and it's a, it can be a little bit tiring, but... Using the powers, running around, doing the story mission stuff is really, really fun, and it looks pretty goddamn amazing. Yeah, and I need a reason to turn on my PS4. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a very good uh, one. And I actually have two of them now uh, because uh, I want to uh, – well, I guess I don't really need to car- – this is not meant as a dig, but mm-hmm. it's going to sound like one. I don't need to carve out a lot of time to play Ground Zeroes. No, probably not. I could have uh, said that in a way that was sarcastic, but that I did not <laughs> I did not mean that <laughs> – I mean, way. you would have probably been justified in saying that in a way that was sarcastic, but I appreciate that you didn't. Yeah. Uh, well, I at least want my first mention of it to not be sarcastic. And plus, now that it's out, you know, no reason to take a pot shot when I can just play the game sure. myself. But sure. yeah, I need to... Infamous is lower on the games that I feel like I need to get to, but I will get to that relatively quickly. Lar- largely yeah. because April is... Uh, is is kind of a wasteland. Not there is some stuff bit. coming out, but there, it's not it's not like the last three weeks have been. I mean, today um, the second part of um, Burial at Sea comes out. Oh, that's right. Yeah, second episode is out today, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which uh, you know, the first episode was just kind of okay, but uh, I hear this one's a lot better. That yeah, it sounds by all accounts a lot of the story is uh, sort of uh, in the second half. Um, when you finish the first half of Burial at Sea, it feels like hey, we're just cool we're getting going and then cut to black uh it's you know it's an effective cliffhanger but i don't think a uh, a really great one um you know kind of on the definition of the word like cliffhangers work best when you feel satisfied there's some sense of resolution and then there's also this oh my god i have to know what happens next whereas with like burial sea part one i kind of just feel like oh there's just that's the twist and and i didn't really feel like you know part one had ended with any real satisfaction but i yeah I, I i will play another one of those given that you know burial at sea was what like 90 minutes two hours yeah like it, it wasn't i think this long. one's a little longer too like there's a little bit more going on in this episode than there was in the last one so that's a nice change as well did you play infamous one and two were you an infamous guy so i yeah i played through a lot of one i didn't finish it uh i dabbled in two, but i did not finish that either uh, it's one of those series where it's like i would pick it up i would play it for a little while and go yeah this is pretty cool and then i would just kind of forget about it uh it's not that they're not fun games they just didn't grab me uh this one 
admittedly part at least partially just because of like the sheer visual fidelity and this being kind of like a good showpiece for ps4 hardware in which the novelty of that has not completely worn off yet uh has grabbed me a little bit more in the sense that you know it's 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 fun to look at and watch and even though the gameplay doesn't seem like radically different from uh you know infamous games past it's still fun and having that visual novelty helps a little bit yeah i I played both uh one and two i I liked the first one a lot more than the second one uh yeah cole was not a very likable character he became very grating uh as as it went on is that is the character any better in this new Infamous? So, I haven't done a ton of the story stuff just because, you know, wandering around the world and just kind of doing random objectives is a little bit, uh, at least it grabbed me up front. Uh, but what I will say is that he is not quite the overbearing douchebag that he appears to be, just like in the cover art and in some of the advertising for that mm-hmm. game. Um like, he's a punk. He play, The character is a punk. He starts out as, like, you know, a dude who just runs around spray-painting and tagging stuff. Uh, I've been playing toward good karma. I don't know what he's like when you play as a bad character. Uh, I assume he becomes kind of insufferable just because of that. Uh, but as a good character, yeah, he's a little little bit of a chucklehead, and he's definitely kind of leans a little bit toward, you know, kind of the, the yellow swag sort of thing that is not necessarily my favorite personality in the world, but... He also hasn't completely graded on me yet, and uh, some of the dialogue has been pretty pretty good. Like, I think that the, the story stuff hasn't been bad at all thus far. I'm honestly, like, a little bit more annoyed by his weird uh, straight-laced sheriff brother, who is, like, your, the, your dude on the radio through, like, all the early story missions that just kind of takes you through stuff. Mm-hmm. He's kind of flat and not that interesting, so I kind of, like, am not super invested in the actual story yet, because... Other than the fact that you're just trying to rescue, you know, your your friends uh, who have been attacked by this this evil government organization de- dedicated to destroying bioterrorists, uh, there isn't that much to really latch onto yet. Well, I think that's okay. I, you know, I think it yeah. sounds like uh, you know, Titanfall and Infamous have some similar uh, things going on in terms of uh, you know both have bring interesting iterations to the table on things yeah. that we have seen before. Uh, Neither are necessarily going to light the the industry on fire in terms of determining where we're going for the next couple of years with, you know, sort of design trends. But, you know, especially in the first, what, we're still in the first six-month window of yeah. uh, the launches of these machines. Like, it seems like both machines, just in time for their fiscal years to end. I don't actually know if that's true for both companies, uh, but uh, it's often March 31st. Uh, don't, but, I think all companies end their, offic- their fiscal years officially at March it? 31st. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, either case, uh, it's nice that every everyone got a good game, it seems yeah. like. Wherever you fall on the fence, that's cool that after sort of, you know, n- not a whole lot coming uh, in the last uh, couple of months uh, to both get two big, meaty games um, although, yeah. you know, very different types of games. Uh, yeah. That's cool. That's a good, that's I, a me- good reason to turn on your machine. So that's the thing about Titanfall. Is it really that big and meaty of a game? Because honestly, I've kind of kind of fallen off with that one. I haven't actually picked that up in like a week. And I know I, I still have a fair amount of leveling to do. And I just sort of have been like, ah, there's other stuff. I can always just go back to this. And then I don't go back to it. And I don't know. 
yeah, yeah, wrong, wrong person to ask. I never, yeah. I never climbed on the train, so can't be on the I mean, train if you never got it's on worth board. Getting on the train for at least a little while, I think, I think you should try it. Uh, it's, it's fun, certainly. It's just that I don't know. It's just like knowing that okay, I've done all the campaign stuff, and now it's just like more multiplayer maps. I'm just kind of waiting for friends to be online and play for me to actually want to do it because I am super done with playing with random people. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, you know, I, I think you know you've got things like. Everyone was gone at GDC. Like a lot, a lot of our, our sort of circle is sort of spread out right now. Like maybe things yeah. will calm down. There's also lots of games for people to catch up on. So yeah, I mean, right. I, th- I feel like Titanfall is a game that makes sense that it will have, uh, you know, for folks like us that can kind of jump around from game to game because we mm-hmm. have um, sort of that access. Uh, that you know, when new maps drop and stuff like that, that will inject uh, you know a sort of a temporary new life. Uh, around the kind of folks that, that we tend to play with as opposed to, you know, people who, hey, they got this Xbox One and now they've got this game and, of course, they're going to play uh, a lot of it. Um, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so I... So it's been six days at GDC. Um, right. Tell gave, us a little about what you saw at the show. Like, what, what did you see when you were... Like, what panels did you go to? What did, what did you check out? Yeah, so it was it was interesting this year. Uh, so, yeah, I you know, early in my career when I started going to GDC, it was a lot of going to panels because... I had to report on the panels. So it's like, right. hey, there's a portal postmortem. Like, go write that up. Um, and I've been lucky enough to, since then, uh, work for places where that wasn't that important. Um, and especially at Giant Bomb, where I kind of get to sort of write my own ticket. Uh, I go to panels that I think are going to be, like, personally interesting or fulfilling in some way. So, you know, I went to a lot of, like, the advocacy track, you know, which kind of mm-hmm. falls in line with a lot of the stuff I write about. And there were, you know, sort of postmortems on folks that had, you know, gone through crappy things on the internet. Um, or, you know, Zoe Quinn did a postmortem on Depression Quest and stuff like that. So those were like, you know, those aren't going to show up any in anything, any sort of write-up, but they're important, I think, to check out. And they just sort of uh, give me a better understanding of some of the things that I often talk about. Um, right. And then otherwise, it was like GDC gives you this incredible chance to talk to people that PR will never, ever give you access to. Uh, Because a lot of the people that go to GDC to do talks are not the people that show up uh, when you go to an event like E3 or even if you're going to an event for a a specific game. So it's it's an opportunity to chat with those types of uh, people. You know, that's why I got to talk to, like, you know, the, the writers of Freedom Cry and, you know, Assassin's Creed 4, you know, um, especially because I'm also in Chicago, you're in New York, so we often don't mm-hmm. go to events where maybe even these people might be at. Uh, so, you know, talking to those uh, folks, not about a product, but about how they approach story uh, or talking to, you know, one of the heads at Microsoft's user research lab uh, about how their research is different than playtesting. Um, and so I got to do a lot of things like that. I have a bunch of interviews uh, on my little recorder that uh, have not even gone up on the site yet um, that I need to kind of sift through. I had a, a really, really fun conversation with, uh, I believe, the producer and director of Animal Crossing uh, in which I didn't really play Animal Crossing. So when I booked that interview, it was like, figure you better figure something out, Patrick. What are you going to talk about for an hour? Um, what did you figure out? So... I have a couple of approaches to Japanese uh, game developer interviews. Um, mm-hmm. It's maybe it's because I ask the wrong questions. Um, I don't know, but they tend to be really difficult to make interesting, um, especially when the developers are there to kind of talk about a specific game. Uh, Japanese game developers, I find, uh, generally t- tend to be very, very on message. Um, as 
and maybe that's uh, a combination of what's getting filtered through the translation, um, mm-hmm. uh, more of a cultural thing, but it's really tough to extract uh, good interviews. And what I found is that it's easier to extract those good interviews if you don't talk about their game. Uh, if you mm. don't talk about their game, they tend to, to get a little more kind of off the cuff, give you a little more honest answers. Um, so for you know, example, uh, with Animal Crossing, especially because I hadn't played the game uh, to a real meaningful extent, uh, I, w- I was asking them sort of like what games they played when they were younger. And that's a real dangerous question to ask a Nintendo designer because you often just get, and it may be true, it may not be true, I've gotten a little cynical about it, but you tend to get an answer that is just like their favorite Nintendo game. Right. Because uh, obviously... I like, very much liked The Legend of Zelda. I was right. a fan of Metroid. Yeah. And, et cetera, and et cetera. that may very well be true, but it's like not the most interesting answer in the world. Um, right. So, you know, it was great when, um, you know, the woman who was the first uh, designer at EAD is also now the uh, series producer on uh, Animal Crossing, and I'm not going to attempt to say her name because I will just butcher it saying it off the cuff now. So just Google it uh, so that I don't make myself look like a complete idiot. But uh, she, I I asked her that very question and her response was Ultima Online, which was just like, like what? Ultima Online? Like what are you you talking about? Uh, She was obsessed with Ultima Online. And so, that was like an opening. I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to walk through this door as long as I can. And so I asked her about like what character she played when she was playing it and try to get some context for uh, what exactly uh, became her obsession with Ultima Online. And it turns out that she never actually really engaged with the combat in Ultima Online. She always would just uh, run around looking uh, for ore uh, and picking cotton and then selling it in a marketplace, which, when you start thinking about it, sounds a whole lot like Animal Crossing. Um, God, the pieces just fit way too nicely there. Right? And so that's that's sort of the approach I take to some of these interviews, especially with Japanese game designers, is like that immediately illuminates so much about her philosophy with game design that it makes so much sense that she works on Animal Crossing. Um, that uh, it you know kind of puts uh, her role on the game, uh, the trajectory of that that series in like a really interesting context, uh, given uh, sort of her history. Um, the the actual like the guy who had, had you know originated the game worked on the original and is now just sort of like a series producer, kind of like Eiji Onuma on Zelda. Uh, he we mostly just talked about Diablo and how he likes to play archers. Uh, Damn. So, uh, so that was fun. Archery coming to Animal Crossing. I guess so. I guess so. I guess it's coming down, coming down the line. So I, I need to sit down and like edit that interview because there's a lot of translation stuff. And sure, if you if I do a one on one version of that, then sometimes I can just put up the raw audio. But this one is like an hour long, and I can truncate it down to about twenty minutes. Um, and I might you just write put up. T- you should put up two versions. One that's just the Japanese with none of the English translation text, and one that's just the English translation dialogue with none of the Japanese. <laughs> there Let you people go. pick. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so that'll that'll hopefully be up sometime this week, but no no guarantees. And I've got a bunch of other ones uh, that I need to go through. Some of the games I played that I didn't get to really talk about. Uh, Hyper Light Drifter. Um, I got to play it a oh, couple yeah. of times, which is the uh, Kickstarter that coming from uh, Bo. Uh, and a bunch of other folks. Bo is the designer on Samurai Gun, 
um, and also a designer on Hyper Light Drifter. It was the Kickstarter that asked for, I think, like $35,000, and they ended up getting $600,000 because people were so psyched about it. And uh, it's basically a modern-day take on uh, Secret of Mana or Link to the Past, uh, you know, a game uh, that has, like, a big, mysterious world to explore and, like, really tight mechanics. Like, one of the things that they, they talked about was that if you go back and play uh, Secret of Mana or uh, Link to the Past now, you know, they're still great games, but they don't feel as tight as they did when you played them, you know, when they came out. Like, when they came out, they were revelatory. It was just like, oh, my God, a, like a game can play like this and feel like this. And games have gotten better over the years. And they've gotten tight and they've gotten, they've gotten faster. And so if you go back to those games without the nostalgia you can maybe see like oh i you know i kind of see some crust on this game this mm-hmm. it doesn't it, you know it doesn't quite line up with the way people talk about it and uh, so they want to make a game in 2014 that feels like when you played one of those games for the first time which i think yeah is i think that's a much cooler way a much more interesting way of approaching like making a modern zelda rather than just calling it a modern zelda it's like they're breaking down what makes those games feel so good to play and then trying to like bring that uh you know into to the modern age that sounds cool and i, I remember i saw the trailer that you put up i don't know if it was last week or the week before but whenever that that popped mm-hmm. up and that, that like i had known nothing about that game prior but just even looking at it i'm as tired as anyone of the whole like pixel art as retro thing like it's been done a ton unless it's done well uh it doesn't do anything for me anymore that game's visual style is fucking awesome. Like, everything that they showed in that trailer looked super rad, and I am super, super interested in what that game is all about. God, and you can tell within 30 seconds of playing that it is from the designer of Samurai Gun. Because if you haven't played Samurai Gun, uh, it's the controls on that game have such a finesse to them. In mm-hmm. Within moments of playing it, you feel in complete control of your character. And, and, and it... And it underscores how difficult that is to pull off in a game because yeah. it feels so good so quickly in Samurai Gun. And Hyper Light Drifter, the exact same way in a totally different context. But, like, you know, one of your main moves in Hyper Light Drifter is the ability to sort of, like, dash across the screen. But mm-hmm. you don't see the character dash the entire way. He kind of just, like, whoop, he kind of warps. And... Mm-hmm. That would be the sort of thing that you think might take you a while to get wrap your head around so you know exactly how you're dashing and like where you're going to end up. But the game has such uh, responsive tight controls that within moments you're abusing the crap out of it because you know exactly where your character is going to be. It feels completely natural. And it just, man, every hit feels impactful. And just, God, I could not be more excited for that game. Awesome. Even though I only played like one section that was about five minutes and then an arena mode. Um, which is where they sort of test out new new enemy designs and new enemy patterns. Um, yeah, it's terrific. You know, they they said they're aiming for the end of the year, but they're not going to hold themselves to that because the the amount of money they got allows them to have some breathing room. But it looks phenomenal. Like it looks yeah. just so so good and very and, excited. You know, it's not easy to create a visually arresting game that gets you interested. Um, but that seems a little bit easier than making uh, that plus a great playing game, and it seems like they're nailing every single part of it. Uh, so that was probably the most exciting game I played at the show. Cool. There are certainly others that I did play. You know, 
Jeff and I uh, did a, a video from an ID at Xbox uh, event, um, and we mentioned Sounds like they had a lot of stuff. They did. It's you know, it's a lot of games that uh, I've seen before, or games if you follow the independent game scene uh, were not super shocking. But there there was some right, interesting right. stuff there. You know, uh, them picking up that Connect game where your your body is. Uh, creates the platforms uh, for uh, the avatar on screen. Uh, there's Mike Micah's new game. Uh, that's where I played Hyper Light Drifter because uh, I guess that's coming to Xbox One, which I wasn't aware of, but uh, maybe that's just because Sony was earlier on the indie train uh, yeah. and, and promoting that game. I'm trying to think. What else did I play? Mm. Were there any pieces of technology you got to try out? Right, I did, I did play Project Morpheus. Uh, the How, new... So, okay. I watched the the I saw some of the stuff from that. I, I watched a couple of people's like video previews of that thing, or you know what they talked about as far as the thing. It, it, I I'm a VR dummy still. I've tried an Oculus once. I still don't really understand like the key differences between the two technologies and exactly what it is that you know makes one better than the other or what have you. I don't know if you got not necessarily got a sense of that from the time you got to try it, but I'm curious as someone who has played a lot of Oculus Rift, what was your take on getting to try Morpheus? It, it's it's not revelatory once you've already interacted with VR. Uh, it's okay. not to say that Project Morpheus was disappointing in any way, but it it seems like VR is going along sort of a technology tra- trajectory right now, and mm-hmm. the different ones I've tried are, you know, each has its its own strengths, but it's not like you put on, like, the you know, the Crystal Cove, the new Oculus dev kit, and then you put on Project Morpheus, and you're like, oh, my God, these are... These are so different. I would say right. the the real difference, what was really amazing about Project Morpheus, is the fact that the demos we were playing um, had big budgets behind them, right? Mm-hmm. So most of what I've played with on the Oculus Rift are, are made by uh, tiny teams with limited assets, um, or they're, it's the Oculus Rift uh, grafted onto an existing game uh, that might be sort of neat, but obviously wasn't you know conceptualized from the beginning uh, to to work on the Rift. So there are inter- problems with interface and how d- scenes play out that aren't meant to be interacted with uh, using a VR device. Mm-hmm. So we got to try two demos of uh, Project Morpheus. Uh, the first one, well, I'll get to this, the first one. The second one is one that people are already familiar with. It's Eve Valkyrie, which is the sort of like kind of uh, X-wing Tie Fighter, Wing Commander. Uh, action game there's not a lot of simulation going on uh, right, in right. which you uh, use an xbox or i guess in this case a playstation controller to uh to move around a uh a ship in space and then you're tilting your head around in order to lock on to enemies so that you can be like you know driving off to the upper right and then looking behind you to lock on to an enemy it feels so cool and and i will say that because uh the new oculus and the new uh, Project Morpheus have uh, much higher resolution screens uh, because they re- respond to positional tracking. Uh, so the, the the Oculus right now, when you move your head, um, it it doesn't detect that. It's it moves. Uh, I'm trying to think. Well, I guess it doesn't like track your body, and like this one tracks your body. So it just feels more okay. natural, and it uh, causes less nausea. I guess is what I'm getting at. Less nausea. That's um, good. But so that's that one's familiar. It's cool. Uh, it works really well. Um, so Deep Dive, I think it was called, or The Dive, The Down, I can't remember what the, the demo's title, but it's, you start off in a, a shark cage, uh, or just a, an underwater cage, and then you hit the X button to keep going further and further and further down. 
Um, and then eventually uh, you notice kind of a, a shark swimming in the distance. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have a flare gun. Um, because you're holding the DualShock 4, like, you can like tilt that around, and that's like how you can adjust how the gun is being uh, sort of positioned, which is kind of neat. Uh, and then if you look down at yourself, uh, if you bend your knees, uh, the game is in real time adjusting your knees, which is a very, very weird uh, experience uh, because yeah. in E-Valkyrie, it's cool because you look down and you see a body, which is already odd. Uh, but then in this other demo, you look down and those knees are responding. Uh, doesn't Your feet aren't responding, so the illusion breaks pretty quick, but it is super cool. Uh, and super weird. So as you continue to go down, this shark is kind of in the distance, and you're kind of shooting a flare to kind of illuminate some parts of the background. Uh, and then the shark just straight up attacks the cage, like gets right up in your grill. Like this huge, beautifully rendered, terrifying monster is right up in your eyeballs trying to tear you apart. And it's incredible. And wow. it it emphasizes part of what I've We've all been missing if you've had a chance to interact with uh, some of the VR. Uh, when th- these tiny teams are, what you see with the constraints of, of small budgets, small resources, small amounts of time to make these experiences, like, I got a glimpse of what's possible when millions and millions of dollars are spent on creating like beautiful, immersive worlds. Doesn't mean that smaller developers aren't going to do amazing uh, things with VR, but just seeing a glimpse into what happens when some of these big traditional teams are unleashed on on VR. Oh my god. Like it's incredible. That's incredible. Uh, so yeah. hopefully more people get a chance to try that out. Uh, you know, it definitely does sound like this is uh, an experiment without necessarily an end game yet was kind of the indication we were getting at, at GDC, but I, you know, I think it makes sense. That it makes Microsoft look a little behind the curve. It makes Sony look hip and trendy with, you know, Oculus, uh, and they can spend, you know, the next year figuring out is this a product they want to put out, how they want to put it out, um, and if they don't, then you know, it's it's no harm, no foul. Like they they showed their VR thing, but my guess is that it comes out sometime uh, next Christmas, uh, which it's you know it seems like Oculus is going to come out sometime next year as well. I mean, I would hope that they're going to put it out because it seems like between them and just, you know, all the time people have spent uh, messing with Oculus Rifts, you know, there is a, a palpable excitement level for that stuff that I, I had not even seen, you know, prior to, to Sony's device being unveiled. I mean, when I was watching the, the, the live show, you know, seeing seeing Phil Fish go legitimately ape shit for the idea of virtual reality, seeing uh, the dude whose name I'm totally forgetting, but the guy who designed Galaxy, um... That guy's enthusiasm for VR and it being like, you know, a harbinger of the future that he had always wanted was crazy. I have not seen developers, even on in like on either, you know, the AAA or the indie side of things, get that effusively excited about something in a long while. Do you think that's justified based on what you've been able to play of both devices? Like, do you think it's really that potentially earth shattering or is this just like a cool trend that could be super fun and have some lasting value no i think as soon as you start talking to some of the ways that uh virtual reality is being explored in other contexts than games like i think it's i think it's here to stay i think i think you know whether it takes off in games the way some of us want to i don't know but you know like think about for for this way like there's an architecture firm uh that is exploring using uh an oculus rift or you know another vr device which whichever 
when we're flooded with them in the next couple of years um, to allow people who are building a home to walk around their home. Like part of what yeah. the Oculus does or, or new VR in general is because of the three-dimensional aspect, you can get a sense of scale that you cannot get any other way through a normal display. So imagine being able to walk around your house and say, look, I, actually, I think this table needs to be a little bit bigger. It's a little too small for the room. And then suddenly someone is outside of that, expands the table, and then you have a sense of what that table is in the simulated environment. Then you start adding like the other weirder things that are happening, like you know the, the, the stuff that you can attach to your hand. Like what if you could pick things up and open the drawers in, in your house? Like there are applications of these devices that are going to be or could be spectacular that have nothing yeah. to do with games. And I think that's actually where like it's important that those latch on in order for this stuff to really take off because games are an expensive medium and Right now, it doesn't seem like there's any way to imagine that. Like, I think Oculus is going to be more important with putting out a high-end quality product. They're okay with being, you know, four hundred dollars uh, to purchase one. Um, I don't see how Project Morpheus is uh, anything less than that. Like, you know, I think we're talking bare minimum, you know, two fifty to three fifty for these devices. Uh, right. And on a PlayStation Four, that's a four hundred dollar device. With then a two hundred and fifty dollar uh, add-on or three hundred and fifty dollar add-on, like that's a lot of money. Uh, on it's a the high P- investment on the PC, where you need a PC that is beefy enough in order to uh, render two screens at once, because that's how it does the 3D. Uh, and and usually you want that to be at sixty frames a second, so you can avoid the motion sickness. Uh, then you're talking about a pretty decent PC. Uh, I I wonder if there is a way that Oculus. Um, this probably is less for Sony. Um, can explore ways of is there a way for the oculus to be portable is there a way that it could have like you know a cheap android box that wouldn't be able to do some of these high-end experiences but maybe there's a way that they'd be able to tailor it so that you could just like plug in this tiny box that allows you to you know interact with like a roller coaster you know something that is possible uh without having to be uh, tethered to a a big expensive uh, piece of machinery uh because it's just Tying it to an already expensive box, I think, is going to be really, really difficult uh, sure. for, for commercial value. But I think on the PC space, I think Oculus is going to be just fine. I think you're going to oh, yeah. have folks like Phil Fish and, and others that are going to run with this. And I think the real challenge is more in companies like uh, Sony and Microsoft if they want to try and make it work uh, commercially and have to uh, really show uh, a profit in a, in a way that uh, Oculus has to worry less about. Uh, so... I'm not sure how that's solved, and I don't think Sony has necessarily figured that out yet either. Yeah, probably not. And that's, you know, fair enough. It's going to take time. But, you know, the seeing the development and, th- like, the developer enthusiasm for that stuff uh, coming out of GDC was something, you know, I knew that people were into to, to the VR stuff. I knew that it was, you know, kind of an, in- an intriguing idea for a lot of people. But seeing people get that excited about it was kind of a crazy thing, and certainly... I think it caught my attention more than than I have even up to this point. I mean, as much as I was on board with Oculus Rift, especially after seeing the uh, was it the Seinfeld apartment demo thing, yeah. where you could just walk through Seinfeld's apartment in in VR, like that's like yeah, that's exactly the kind of stupid thing I want to see out of VR. That is the kind of dumb thing that will get me to buy one of those headsets at some point. So I you know I hope I hope it is in fact like a lasting thing and not just kind of like a weird flash in the pan trend. I mean, it certainly seems like it's coming from a much more thoughtful. 
and much more well-developed place than, say, other previous attempts like, you know, the Virtual Boy era or what have you. Um, now it seems like this is a real thing that could be really cool, and I want, yeah, I want that to happen soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been excited for a while. I'm, I remain extremely excited. I haven't decided if I'm going to uh, purchase a Crystal Cove, the updated Oculus kit. Uh, I yeah. don't. I'm trying to talk to some folks that I know to get a better sense of when, you know, the consumer version might be coming out. You know, if we're talking, you know, next spring or summer uh, for the real Oculus, then I feel okay with spending three hundred fifty dollars to get. Uh, an updated kit that looks uh, a lot better um, and is going to cause a lot less motion sickness. But if we're talking that comes out in July and then the consumer one is in October or November, eh, then I'll, I'll probably wait and and pick it up then. So uh, okay. we'll see. But I, I remain excited and, and you should too because it seems like yeah. a lot of really smart people that want to make cool things are excited about it too. That's rad. Well, uh I do have one last question for you regarding uh -huh. your, uh, your your GDC coverage, which uh, obviously you'll have more interviews and things coming up on this site soon. But um, at any point during the course of the show, did you learn how to monetize teens? Because I am to understand <laughs> there were a lot of ways, a lot of things you could have gone to that would have properly taught you to teach uh, to, to monetize uh, user bases, especially teens, uh, ideally in a safe and legal manner, though maybe that is uh, you know up for debate. Uh, did you figure that out at some point? I didn't, unfortunately. Damn it! I had, I had this sick idea in my head that, yeah, I'd already booked a bunch of appointments, so I couldn't bail. But I thought it would have been an interesting experiment to just go to free-to-play panels for the entire week. Yeah. Uh, those are mostly in the earlier in the week. Um, they they tend to. They have the indie track and the advocacy track and some other stuff that happens in the first uh, three days traditionally more than in the, the, the latter two. But I thought it would have been interesting to go to every free-to-play panel and then write something up uh, based on my harrowing experience into the deep. Uh, but unfortunately, or fortunately, I already booked a lot of things and didn't want to uh, cancel those appointments. But uh, apparently, uh, so uh, Ben Abraham, who is a uh, games writer and academic from Australia, uh, went to that panel, uh, and if you look up Ben Abraham, he storyfied. You know, it's like that thing where you can collect your tweets. Um, I think his Twitter name is Ten Ord Ben or something like that. Uh, mm -hmm. Anyway, he I, I can send a link on Twitter later if people if people want to check it out. But it seemed like it was much tamer than uh, the panel title suggested. Hard to know if that's what was planned originally or if after a lot of the backlash. Uh, directed at the title of the panel uh, that's they had decided to sort of pull back uh, on the disgusting exploitation that sometimes happens or often happens mm -hmm. uh, in the free-to-play market uh, and it's you know it's weird because on some level I sort of see what they're saying they're like hey uh, the the teenage demographic is a huge part of free-to-play we make a lot of money there how do you do so like the way they should have framed that is like how to make money off of the teenage demographic without feeling like a huge douchebag. Uh, you know, something like that. Like, you need to kind of poke fun at uh, what is kind of a slimy thing. Uh, yeah. You know, doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Uh, but, you know, I'm glad that GDC has stuff like that because a lot of times GDC feels like, I'm borrowing a phrase from someone else, you know, the industry we want to have, not the industry we do have. Um, but... You know, gambling and free-to-play and things like that are a huge part 
would drive this industry, and that means they should be represented, if only to remind ourselves, you know, what's there. Uh, so yeah. maybe I'll do my all free to play. <laughs> track next year but i feel like maybe that's the thing i would fly out to gdc for Uh just go to the most awful sounding panels possible the ones that just sound like the most gross and businessy because you know i I obviously have a high tolerance for self-abuse so uh maybe you get to go keep doing your cool stuff you know and 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 talking to people that you know aren't horribly craven money grabbing you know free to play people or uh you know and while meanwhile i can go watch all that stuff take place and slowly want to die so that's just like the equivalent of you playing the bad games as you just go yeah. on the the creepy sidetrack panels of, of various conventions learn all about child monetization ah oh, god damn it alex you've been put on a you've been put on a list somewhere i'm sure yeah, no, that automatically, like, that's one of those, like, words that pops up on an NSA, you know, thing, and now I'm on a list. Shit. Uh, said monetization! Monetization! It's a gross word. It like, is a really gross word. It's, it's impossible to say without feeling just utterly disgusting the entire time that it's coming out of your mouth. Yep. Yep. Uh, so then I took six days off. Uh, no, no, I should have t- taken six days off. That's definitely what I should have <laughs> You took have done. a couple days off. I took one day off. Well, I didn't yeah. get out of my I, – I booked a flight on Friday evening, uh, even though that was going to get me into Chicago super late, you know, like 1 or 2 in the morning, uh, because I wanted to fall asleep in my bed and wake up in my bed on Saturday morning. Uh, but uh, fate did not have that in store for me. Uh, instead, I spent uh, four and a half hours waiting on a runway with a plane uh, before they canceled the flight sent us all to hotels and told us to come back at 7 in the morning. Ugh, uh, I so I, they they had me end up doing the very thing I was avoiding doing. I could have just booked that a hotel and then spent another night in San Francisco, but instead I, I spent it near the airport in a, in a mediocre hotel. But So I, I took Monday off because I needed to catch up on some sleep because I spent six days in San Francisco uh, mm-hmm. drinking and getting any sl- very little sleep. Uh, and I needed to dig real deep into Dark Souls 2, uh, which I spent basically an entire work day uh, playing, like a full eight, nine hours uh, playing nice. that yesterday. And uh, How's that a, treating you? I, it's, it's beating me around. Uh, it's throwing me to the ground. Uh, it's it's great. Uh, I, you know, I, There's been a lot of Dark Souls content on the site uh, so far. Uh, I'm trying to play uh, a build, uh, a character build that is a little bit different than in Dark Souls uh, in the sense that I'm wearing less heavy armor. I'm wearing. Uh, I'm wielding slightly lighter weapons. Uh, I like a little more mobility, and I've uh, really embraced uh, the bow and arrow or the uh, crossbow in order to. Uh, I, you know, one of the things that Dark Souls often does to you is uh, you'll think there's just one enemy, and then there's a whole mob of them. Um, right. and, and one way that you can control those mobs is to lure enemies out one by one, and the best way to do that is with uh, sort of a bow and arrow. And they've. Uh, made using a bow and arrow so much easier in Dark Souls 2. It was really unwieldy uh, in Dark Souls. Uh, you've got an automatic lock-on. You've got a manual sort of aim. Uh, and I can hit dudes from a, a pretty nice distance, uh, which allows me to sort of take out mobs that uh, would otherwise be uh, a little bit problematic. But, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting game. I know you, you haven't played, you know, the other games in, in, in the series, but, uh, you know, just to give people some sort of general idea of where my, my thoughts are at so far, uh, I... I'm a little disappointed that the game doesn't have as much of an organic feel to the world as Dark Souls does. Like one of the amazing things about Dark Souls is that you're opening these shortcuts that lead you back to places you've already been, 
and then you slowly start to realize that everything is connected in this really amazing and organic way. Uh, you know, it seemed like for a while that the developers had to be cheating and that, you know, they're just stitching together stages to give the illusion that it's all one organic world. And then not that long ago, someone realized because they kind of did the modeling or maybe they extracted from the game, uh, they realized that no, like they actually went the distance and everything is connected in a really smart fashion, which is like going beyond above the call of duty when it comes to to building a world. And I think it it allows, like I can think about Dark Souls and like in my head, think about the paths through that game in, in a way that isn't quite happening uh, for me in, in Dark Souls 2. It's, uh, Dark Souls 2 feels like a little bit more like Demon Souls. In Demon Souls, mm -hmm. there's uh, more of like a level structure. Uh, we're actually going to like a 1-1, one, 1-2. One, one, uh, Dark Souls 2 doesn't have quite that. You get to a hub and then basically have four areas you can go down. And then those areas kind of feel like you're going from one level to the next level and then you reach an end, and then you hit a bonfire that sends you back to uh, sort of the main section. But uh, it's a different structure. Uh, it's, it's different. I'm not liking it uh, quite as much, but uh, the game is is a lot of fun to play. It's, it's kicking my ass to, to give people a sense of where I'm at without spoiling anything would be that I beat The Rotten last night, um, which then grants you your first uh, great soul. Uh, and I'm stuck at the, the last sinner, I think is the last sinner. Um, so, yeah, it's it's Dark Souls. I'm, I'm enjoying it I'm quite a bit. Uh, it's, it's not kicking my ass as much uh, as I thought it might, but uh, it seems like when you start the game, you're actually not quite aware that there are as many paths outward as, as you might think. So what's happened is that uh, I've talked to folks that, you know, I've gone deep down certain paths that they haven't even touched yet. Um, so even though it seems like the game is funneling you in some directions, you have a lot more freedom uh, than than you can think. I mean, <laughs> the game does a great job of this up front of the the, the opening town that you start in uh, is this place called Majula, and there's a well. And if you look down the well, way down there are some items, and it doesn't seem like you would be able to go down there. It doesn't seem like there's any way that anything is down there and you'd be able to reach it, and that's not true. Uh, I don't want to spoil how you come across that or solve that particular uh, sort of puzzle, uh, but it's you know one of those things where a location that will then lead you to like nine other spots is right in front of your face the entire time, and if you don't quite put together how to get there, you might not get there until maybe 30 hours later uh, yeah. as, a, as someone else goes down a, a different sort of path. But I don't know, Alex. I, it's, an, it's an approachable game. If you ever get free time, you should, you should maybe try and play the PC version when it comes out. Yeah, yeah. If I'm going to play one, it sounds like I'll probably play this one because it sounds like this is the most approachable of all of them, at least at the, you know, the outset. Uh I still guarantee that even if I, I do approach it, uh, after a few hours, I will probably throw something and yell, fuck this, mm -hmm. uh, and be sorely tempted never to touch it again. Uh, I'm gonna need some external motivation to keep going, I think, with a game like that, because those are the, that's usually the only thing that keeps me going in games that just make me angry. I don't like games that make me angry. I don't like games that frustrate me. I don't like games that piss me off. I don't want to throw things. I have a bad temper, and I try to keep that under, you know, 
kind of under wraps and games like that tend to bring out the worst in me. So I don't know if that's something I really want to delve too deeply into Well, I, until I, I've worked these issues out. You know? <laughs> that might be a lifetime, Alex. Yeah, I know. I'll be 60 by the time I actually get around to playing Dark Souls 2. But by then, you know, maybe I'll be a good enough person to actually handle it. I mean, you know, the thing I would say is that I think people get really hung up on the idea of challenge or difficulty in, in Dark Souls when I think what it really... I'm not saying it isn't difficult or mm-hmm. challenging. I, th- I think there's a tendency amongst people that sort of end up playing a lot of these games to be like, oh, they're not that hard. Like, no, they totally are. But uh, the game is trying to teach you a set of rules. And the game doesn't cheat at its own rules and right. if you find ways to bend its rules that game will bend for you as well so you know a lot of what's frustrating about dark souls is just learning that you can't fudge things like games these days let you fudge things and kind of just like muscle your way through because the games want you to see everything and dark souls is completely content with you seeing nothing it has to offer like the game sets itself up uh, and says look engage with me if you want if you don't then we're just not going to get along. And and other games are like so desperate for you to see everything, so desperate for you to see the millions of dollars they've spent on their environment art, for the millions of dollars they spent on focus testing, for the millions of dollars they've spent. And that, you know, I get it. I get why you want players to see all that. But Dark Souls doesn't give a shit. Like Dark Souls mm-hmm. says, look, we've created a world that's going to respect you if you respect it. And so a lot of the learning curve of the game isn't really the game itself it's more the game unlearning bad habits uh from other games uh in which uh the streamlining of how you play them uh allows you to sort of kind of just get through them even if you don't really master uh what's in front of you and dark Souls says no like look son you're gonna understand what i'm telling you and if you don't i'm just going to keep beating you to the ground because uh as you bend dark souls eventually it will break like it, it's okay if you uh, sort of sort of get the game under your thumb because that's what happened to me in Dark Souls. Eventually, I just sort of like broke it and it was just yeah. sort of stampeding through. And the game's okay with that. And there, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I earned the right to do that. Um, and it didn't just happen through like leveling up and stuff like that. Like it's there's a lot more that goes to to mastering uh, a game uh, like that. And uh, so I, I don't know. I just have the right perspective with the game because I think, yes, it is challenging and frustrating and you probably get angry, but like the thing I find is that if you spend every one of those deaths going, okay, why did I die? There's always a very clear reason. Like what animation priority does, you know, like when when your character gets stuck in animations, uh, when enemies get stuck in animations does, is that it makes very clear what's happening. So it allows you to dissect the world and the deaths in a way that is different than other games where everything kind of blurs together because you can't be quite sure what happened. In Dark Souls, everything is super clear. So it allows you to sort of analyze a death and go, oh, okay, you know what? When he brings his arm back from the right, that means I need to dodge backwards uh, instead of, like, putting up my shield. Uh, And you can sort of break down fights in that way. Uh, I mean, there's a reason that people go through this game, level one, original weapon, you know, no uh, armor, because it's possible. Because the game is actually 100% fair. It's just like you need to come to an understanding of what exactly that means because it's a lot different than other games. That sounds like something. Yeah, you know what? We'll see what happens when the PC version comes out because I'm not going to play that on consoles. I'm going to probably check that out when it comes out on PC if I'm going to check it out at all. And you are making it sound like something I should try. You know me. I'm stubborn as shit. It's hard to get me into things that I I, I have 
made myself believe that I will not be good at or want to play. So, but you you are doing an effective job here of perhaps convincing me to give it a shot. So we'll see. I, yeah, I've, I've I've tried to give this version of the pitch to a lot of people because I think part of Dark Souls. It does is, sound a little rehearsed. I'm just gonna say it. Yeah, because <laughs> it, it it's it's well actually like that's basically like an extraction from the essay that I wrote a couple right. a couple months back about the game when I tried to crystallize what exactly I think works about the game because I think people get really hung up on this like oh Dark Souls is so hard it's just like it's so old school in that way it's like no like a lot of old games were fucking cheap like they didn't earn the right to kill you because they were based on arcade games and so it was quarter uh, design logic uh, being brought into games at home it didn't mean that you couldn't master them uh, in that way but the games didn't earn them in the way that Dark Souls does uh, you know yeah. like Dark Souls in some ways is an evolution of sort of the quarter munching design where like games had to be created to kill you so they could get more money out of you and then a lot of game design has been held back because that's sort of the rock bed of a lot of what games have been based on even though we now don't function that way, right? Like, you pay 60 bucks for a game, and then, well, most games, uh, and then you just get the game. But the design is based upon a game over screen that was predicated on getting another quarter out of you. So right, right. Dark Souls, I think, evolves that line of thinking in a way of like, well, how do we take death? How do we take a game over screen and make that more meaningful in a world where it's not about killing you to get another quarter? Um, okay. So. You don't All have right. to play it, but, you know, it's, I think it is worth, you know, giving a shot to at least grasp a little bit of what, you know, why it has enraptured so many people. Okay. I think, I think at some point I'm going to have to give this a shot. We'll see what happens when the PC version comes out. Yep. Patrick, we've been going for an hour. We, we have. haven't even talked about news. I'm thinking maybe we should just save that for Friday since, yeah. you know, we'll have plenty of news to talk about uh, and less games and GDC stuff to talk about. Yeah, there. Yeah, that hour flew by. There's, there's a lot uh, that's been going on. There's a, a lot, lot going on, um, and I'm going to return to the Binding of Isaac uh, in an hour. But uh, I haven't decided exactly. I can't keep doing that thing daily. It is right. taking up way too much of my time. So I may. I haven't decided if I'm just going to keep doing Binding of Isaac daily, and then just run that well dry. Or, or if I'm going to change that to two or three times a week, uh, but the 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 capture, uh, recording, and then archiving uh, takes up a significant chunk of my time that uh, takes me away from uh, a lot of other things I would like to do. So um, we're going to keep doing it, but I, I might need to restructure exactly uh, how that goes. But we are going to return to it today, um, and we will see uh, we'll see how my uh, my journey into the depths goes after six days away uh what gonna are you gonna throw this out there next week let's try one more risk of rain thing even if it's you know not a thing we're gonna do regularly let's just do it one more time and i'm right. doing the do the capturing and the recording for you so you don't have to deal with that shit on that time um all right maybe we'll have to do that what are you next gonna week. what are you gonna play this week uh i'm gonna try and get through as much infamous as i can uh you know i I don't really have that much else that I'm playing right now. There's not much coming out at the moment. Um, so Infamous is kind of number one on my my thing. And then I do want to finally dig back into some more Titanfall once I can get some friends together to actually play it uh, so I don't have to deal with assholes. Are, uh, that's, have you played Ground Zeroes? I haven't. Uh, I may. I don't know. I'm not the biggest MGS fan out there. Uh, I've always found that series a little bit daunting in a way that I, I never much enjoyed. So uh, I'm not sure if I'm... I mean, I know this is like a, as bite-sized a chunk of that as I'm ever going to find, but uh, I'm not still not sure if I really care enough to jump into it. Okay. Well, I'm going to try and play it this week. I 
I have read some interesting things about that game. Yeah. Let's, let's say, uh, <laughs> and how they treat certain characters. So, uh, I, you know, I've played all the Metal Gears before. So, uh, well, other than some of the side ones. So, I'm going to play this one uh, too. But, yeah, I, I need to see what happens. Uh, it's been described to me, but I, I need to see it for myself. So, I'm going to try and play okay. that this week. Cool. Uh, well, so, that sounds like a week. Yeah, so we'll be back on Friday, um, and we're going to try and uh, get back on the guest train uh, for Monday. I know that uh, Vlambeer's Rami had uh, offered to come on. I need to talk to him and see if that lines up with his schedule. We'll see if maybe we can get him on next week. Uh, if not, then then another time. And, uh, oh yeah, otherwise I will uh, I will talk to you on Friday, Alex. Right on. Oh. Oh. <laughs>